Welcome to the Destination Gettysburg Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. We have a really cool conversation with our friends at the Eastern Museum of Motor Racing. In particular, we'll be joined by Lynn Paxton, who is just a legend when it comes to central Pennsylvania uh, racing of all kinds of cars. He's pretty much driven everything. Uh, We'll talk to him in just a little bit. Ahead of that conversation, want to let you know, there's a couple of website links in our show notes. One is to the museum's website, which is emmr.org. And then also there's a link to a bio about Lynn Paxton. So I hope you check it out and enjoy the show. We are here with Lynn Paxton from the Eastern Museum of Motor Racing long time that you've been here um, too long <laughs> if you could uh tell us a little bit about yourself not so much the museum but just an intro about yourself i know there's a story career there um with your racing well history. i was born and raised uh in mechanicsburg pennsylvania okay. my father had a gas station and a and a cabins uh, on route 15 which was about four miles from Williams Grove. So the people used to get off the turnpike and go to the races at the Grove. Uh, I got to see a lot of them go through there. And uh, that's what gave me an interest in in auto racing. So growing up, I'd sneak a ride over with my neighbor or ride my bike over to Williams Grove in in the 50s. And that would, uh, I was pretty well hooked at that point. (laughs) And then I, of course, started a career in in 61 I actually was helping uh, on a sportsman at uh, Silver Spring Speedway and uh, I did get a chance to drive the Fred Putney car in a mechanics race at the end of the year and I finished second so right then and there I knew I wanted to do more than just work on them I wanted to I wanted to drive and uh, they, they had a hobby division over there so we built a car for that and then we we borrowed a sportsman from another friend of mine and uh, we ran that for a while and uh, okay. trying to get up to the top division and once we got there we just kind of moved with it we we'd run anything i mean late models you name it uh when i was young i'd 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 drive anything just to get the experience you know just to get the thrill of it well no the, no it wasn't a thrill of it it was mm-hmm. getting seat time and learning Okay. I mean, the only way you learn is by doing, okay? Yeah. You know, it's like playing ball. If you only ball, play ball 10 games a year, you don't learn as much if you play 100 games a year. Well, racing's the same way, you know. Right. You, you learn something every time you go out. Yeah, it's not something where you can just pick up a manual and look at this and well, see. Well, you can pick up a manual, it, mm-hmm. but it'll it, it'll give you the basics of what do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. okay? But... Uh, the real good people are the ones that pay attention and right. and uh, and work real hard at at either getting their equipment better or getting themselves better. I mean, okay. it's a combination. It's not just one or the other. Because gotcha. a, a driver with all the ability in the world, if he doesn't have the equipment, it's not going to do anything. 
and vice versa. You can right. have the best car in the world and you have no driver. Uh, that's not going to work either. So it's, it's a combination. Hmm. So when you're learning about everything that goes into it, what was the hardest thing to learn? <laughs> well, whenever you're young and mm -hmm. foolish, you'll try anything. And the people that have knowledge tell you, well, you can't run with them. Your equipment's not competitive. And, and you don't really know what you're doing yet. And they were right. Mm -hmm. But I had to find out on my own. I had to show up with my equipment and drive as best I could. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the night, I realized they were right. But then I knew where I had to improve me and, and my equipment to do, do better the next week. And that, that's what it is. It's just, a, it's just a climbing the mountain right. you know, to get to the top. The problem is, once you've won... There is no second place. It always has to be a win, okay? And, and uh, it, it, that can be tough, a tough road sometimes. That can relate to a lot of different things in life, um, whether it's you know what, what, what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis in your personal life or whatever your respective industry That's is. That's true. It, it but, correlates. Yeah. I agree with you. But, I mean, definitely nothing so specific as, as what you would go through in your time. But, but yeah, that, that's, I can only imagine what it would be like from the ground up, you know, having those times where you're just kind of messing around, learning things. and, and Well, uh, you have to. I was lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, I was a little likable. And when <laughs> I really needed help, mm -hmm. I had some owners who, who helped me. Now, okay. they didn't let me drive for them, but they lent me parts. Uh, Harold Hank was really my first... Uh, Fred Putney was driving for mm -hmm. him, and I was helping on their car and trying to uh, put a modified together. And uh, I think the first weekend out, I broke the rear end, and I, I had no money. So he lent me the money to put a rear end. Now, I pulled the Corvette motor out of my 59 Corvette. I had put a 327 high performance in that. Oh, wow. So I pulled it out of that and put it in. So the second weekend, I blew the motor. So now I don't have a race car motor, and I don't have a motor for my Corvette, okay? And again, uh, Harold, Hank uh, came through and and helped me. You know, mm -hmm. if it had been, say, all right, you owe me X amount of dollars, I couldn't have done it. Right. But it was, you know, $10 here, you can help me do this or do that. And uh, I was lucky. I In my career, I had three, four people that... Uh, that saw something and mm -hmm. and wanted to help me and and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, because I'm sure at, at one point you're like, I wonder how many times they're going to help me out. Your focus mm -hmm. is is there. Mm -hmm. You want to be there, and whatever it takes to get there, that's mm -hmm. what you're going to take. And at the time, I, I didn't think much about it, but then afterwards I thought about who mm -hmm. who was very helpful to me to get to there. Okay. Right. And to that likability that you mentioned earlier, you know, you don't exactly have to be a politician, but at the same time, you know, it's like when you're uh, watching NASCAR. I mean, you have to have that likability to you. It's, when I talk to kids mm -hmm. and want to, I said, I want to tell you something. You're in a very rough, if you want to make a living mm -hmm. with a race car, okay, uh, everybody's got certain skills. But I said, 
you know, your verbal skills and your written skills and stuff are very, very important with you interacting with your sponsors or with the public. Very important. I said, I, I got to admit that I was not a good student because I didn't think I needed Probably it. Probably weren't the only one, but right. And then I found out that, uh, that I did need it. Mm-hmm. So I had to reapply and go back and take some courses and stuff. Or you can just use the old garage language, but that doesn't always work. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, filters with that, guys. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure I can only imagine. <laughs> so when it comes to the museum here, um, this didn't happen overnight. No. This is, this it, is over it many It all nights. started uh, as a... Uh, mm-hmm. Jack Gunn was a promoter at Williams Grove, very good promoter, and he was a historian. He liked the history of it. And he thought that it would be neat once a year to have the old racers come back and the old owners and the old uh, fans come back to Williams Grove for a weekend. And he, that, he started that in 1975. Okay. And uh, it was so successful. It, it just kept growing, 75, 76. Mm-hmm. It just grew in leaps and bounds. And I'm sorry to say Jack died of cancer. Uh, so I think 1980 was his last year. I think he okay. died in 81. And in essence, it was just a once-a-year thing that he ran out of his. There was no mm-hmm. foundation to that house, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, a couple of us, myself, uh, uh, Bill Wright, who was an attorney who had an old race car and enjoyed it, and uh, another way, well, actually there's four of us mm-hmm. that... Uh, got together and and took the concept and moved it a little bit more than just from Williams Grove. Initially it started at Williams Grove and then after 81 the concept went uh, to the eastern part okay. of the United States. It, it, it told what our interests were, okay. But the problem was that name was being used by another organization. Oh, okay. But thank God in 83 I think it was they wanted more of a national deal, so they went from Eastern to National Old Timers. Okay. And when they did that, we gobbled up that name. Um, yeah, we, we're the room we're in right now. This is what do you call this room? Well, it's our theater. Theater. Okay. okay. And uh, since we have. Mm-hmm. We don't have the luxury of having just a theater. Right. Our theater has to be something else. So it's our uh, speaking for 30 people. They, mm-hmm. It comes here. And our uniforms in this, uh, you could have quite a race by the uniforms that are in here. Yeah, I'm just looking I'm at some of them. I'm going to say there's roughly 125 to 150 uniforms in yep. here. And some of, the, some of the best racers in the country, their uniforms hanging in here. Some of the... the the colors and the patterns just stick yeah. out to you. Yes, they do. Um, like, you know, all of them look great as a collection, but then you'll see some of them will just stick out. You see see the, the, the pink number three yes. on the back there? Well, that was Johnny Thompson's uniform. Okay. And Johnny got killed at Allentown with that uniform. Wow. Okay. The one beside it uh, also uh, was Van Johnson's. Okay. Van got killed at Williams Grove with that uniform. My goodness. I, I, we don't have them here because of that. No. It's just ironic that those two right. are right there. 
Wow. That's uh, that's taking a moment pause right there. Just for, yeah, yeah, it is. Just it, just it, for it, sure, uh, goosebumps. The to... it is uh, on the right here. Mm-hmm. These are mostly all Hall of Famers, right okay. there, from Steve Kinzer to Chenny Jacobs to Doug Wolfgang. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's pretty neat. Pretty neat. We're gonna have Steve Kinzer's twenty-time World of Outlaws champion. He was voted uh, the best sprint car racer of the last decade. Okay, or, excuse me, last century. Now, uh, we just, uh, I, I talked to him yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's coming into our convention in August. Okay. And what's neat, I have a picture upstairs. The top three were, Steve was number one. Mm-hmm. Number two was Tommy Hendershitz. Number three was A.J. Foyt. Well, there you we go. have a, a piece that Foyt and Tommy both signed the last time they ran together. And what we're going to do is get Steve to sign that. That'll be the three, three tops. I think that'll be really neat. Hmm. Looking at the this collection, you know, it, I compare it to be quite frank to art. It um, is art. Like, cause like when I'm looking at some of this, I'm seeing some of the the phrase in, in the material, and um, you know, just like on the sleeves of, of some of them that are torn. It's just a million things that could tell a million that's, different stories. That uniform, the red and, and black one there, mm-hmm. if you look at it, that's been surgically removed. Okay. In other words, that was Van Mays when he took the judges stand out of Port Royal. And when he gave it to me, that's not mm-hmm. ketchup on it, that's blood. And that's how he gave it to me, and that's how I ended up. Wow. So you talk about realistic, that one is about as realistic right. as you can get. You can't get any more than that. Of course, that. he still runs around eating popcorn, so it, <laughs> it didn't affect him. And the loss of blood didn't hurt him at all. <laughs> now, you, you, earlier you mentioned the convention in August. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's what's the big skinny on that? That convention is what, actually, that's what Jack Gunn did. Okay. That's what he called his event, convention. Okay. It started in 75 and was at Williams Grove up until we bought this property probably in 82. Okay. And we really didn't move convention. We, we kept it at Williams Grove. And then I think after we started a fair here in 85, we got the fairgrounds operating, we, we did move the convention over here. To tell you the exact mm-hmm. year, I have to go out to, the, to our uh, signs out here. And, and okay. I can tell you by looking at it. called cheat sheets. That okay. I can remember everything runs together. Well, no, no, nobody's memory is that good to remember no, all these days. Right. <laughs> so I wouldn't, I'd be quite surprised if you could just rattle that off the top of your oh, head. Oh, I could rattle it off, but I'd probably be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't something you can visit. I mean, you can visit it and for however how much time you have but i could see spending multiple days visiting it's it's well a normal tour mm-hmm. uh, like when i give a tour i i it's got to be an hour an hour and a half right depending on, on okay and that's just a a kind of a walk through and a talk about mm-hmm. if if you start getting specific on certain things that hour and a half can go into three hours you fall real, into a couple of rabbit quick, holes yeah. with that real quick normally okay. the the people i have Mm-hmm. They fall into either they're very knowledgeable mm-hmm. or they don't know anything. And you've got to be able to communicate with mm-hmm. whatever group you have. You find that out real quick. Yep. Well, that can relate a lot to, you know, obviously we're talking to you today here at the museum. But, you know, when 
you know, somebody's talking about the Civil War. There are a lot of people who come to, you know, talk about the Civil War that sure. that are interested in it, but don't honestly, respectfully know much about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's where you come in. You, you help now, fill those gaps. Growing up here, in, mm-hmm. actually, I grew up in Mechanicsburg, and my first taste was, of course, our first field trip was always Gettysburg. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so when, when people do visit, the remarkable thing is admission to the museum is, shall we say, there is no admission fee, no. but, but donations are, are always welcome. Absolutely. Well, I always found that mm-hmm. as long as I had anything to do with it, it was going to be free. I didn't want to take money from somebody who couldn't afford it. Okay. The key to us is our fans mm-hmm. who have been longtime racing fans in, in central Pennsylvania. They, uh, uh, they volunteer here. Okay. And uh, most everybody here is a volunteer. Well, it's nice that you're close to so many tracks yeah. that well, you, can get, you, can get, you can get those We get a lot of input mm-hmm. from those. And uh, Gettysburg is a very good draw for us. Mm-hmm. Sitting beside Gettysburg and, uh, of course, Hershey mm-hmm. and also the Dutch country, yep. we're sitting in a really neat deal. Yep. And any time you get people that are interested in the Civil War, as most everybody is, mm-hmm. uh, but there's usually a gearhead or two in that group. Yep. And they said, well, okay, we looked at the Civil War. I see there's museums over here. Let's go right. over there. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to uh, step on out and take a look at some of your highlights, if you will. Okay. So right now we're in this, um, I, I don't know if you call this the main area. We call it our drag racing area, okay. Uh, now our back wall is our engine display area. And uh, right here mm-hmm. is the Hiram Hillegas display. Uh, Hiram Hillegas was a car builder from Allentown, Pennsylvania. He built roughly 200 cars from like 1925 through the 40s and 50s were his, his main deal. Uh, this is Hiram uh, working in his little two-car garage. All this stuff came out of the garage. This right here is the sprint car that he bought from him, the hand paddle aluminum, and that was uh, $575, $30,000 okay. on today's market. But this is all hand pound aluminum. You know, the nose, see there's half the nose. The nose was pounded in two pieces, then they used to scrap aluminum weld the nose and the tail. The hood was in one piece. Look at all the strike marks to form. Jeez. He could build two of these a month. Uh, midgets are, yeah, this was a midget smaller. Mm-hmm. He built anything from a quarter midget up to an Indy car. Uh, picture up here is Tommy sitting in his race car in the garage in 1955. When we first built this museum, we actually went down and uh, pulled everything out of the garage that you can see in that picture. It not only is uh, it's also a uh, everything works. Wow. In other words, it's not only d- display, mm-hmm. but everything. We've got to build something or cut something or something. We come in and use this. Wow. So it's a working garage. It is a working garage. Okay. And it's Tommy's. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pictures you see up here, they were the windows. We counted the windows, and we realized it matched his career. So this was 34, 35, 36. Those are the cars he drove. 
Now, he won the opener to Grove in 1939 in the Gerber car, and then right up to his last ride in the Frommer car. That car, by the way, is being restored right now, the Frommer car. This is the uh, Miracle Par car right here. Wow. Uh, the Miracle Par, mm -hmm. the picture of it, that's his second Hilligus right there. And they won the last 3A championship in 1955, and then USAC was sworn in 1956, and he turned around and won the first USAC championships. His car's pretty special. It ended one year and started another. And anytime we get anything at Tommy's, uh, we kind of let it in here, and there's things hanging in here, and they're all, all you know, Tommy stuff. Mm -hmm. Very nice. He was seven-time Eastern champion, and whenever, whenever you talk uh, to Foyt, Foyt will tell you mm -hmm. he was uh, he was his idol, and Mario Andretti called him. He was a giant. So okay. when you get those two guys, those are that's the high problem praise. I have is when I go bring school groups through here. Mm -hmm. They don't know who Mario Andretti or A.J. Foyt is. So I have to go to Tony Stewart. I usually have a Stewart yeah. car here to Foyt. I have to go another generation to make that connection. So the, the little one over here. That's, that is a Hillegas car. Okay. Okay. I told you that they built quarter midgets. Mm -hmm. They built roughly 15 of those. Okay. That is an original Hillegas quarter midget. Okay. And this is the big one. I know it's... I own several Hillegas cars. Mm -hmm. There were about 200 of them made over the course of his okay. career. And any of these little cars uh, here and the ones out front, mm -hmm. uh, we leave kids get in and do photo shoots and stuff. It is one of those hands-on hands-on experience yeah, type museums. Well, the key to success to mm -hmm. me is the children. Right. Because if the children leave here happy, right. they're going to bring grandma and grandpa, they're going to bring the neighbors, and it always bears fruit when they mm -hmm. bring other people here. And, you know, I think that I don't care. Our, our, the kids are our future. So one of Lynn's legacies then mm -hmm. is the educational programs that he's been able to do here with the kids, having tours geared towards the children as they go around and making it interactive. And we're trying to continue that legacy now and enhance our educational programming. We have a new scavenger hunt available for kids that are 6 to 12. Okay. So you can come in and get a clipboard, and it has 10 pictures on it of objects throughout the museum. You have to find them, and then each one has some questions about it. And if you finish your scavenger hunt, you turn it in at the gift shop, you can get a prize on your way out. So for kids, if you bring your family uh, 6 to 12, we have a scavenger hunt ready to go. And we're working for one for teens and adults that has more trivia base. So if you come back soon in the spring or summer, you can test your own trivia at what you can find from looking around at all the different displays in the museum. Beautiful. That's, that's really bringing it home right there. Lynn, could you talk a little bit and explain to Rick about what it takes to drive one of these cars at the time because you have the handbrake and all the things that you're trying yeah. to do while it's dusty and you're on the track. Well, the early cars, you see, with the outside handbrake, mm -hmm. and that's the way they all work. Now, if you look at this one, come on up here, you'll see the outside handbrake and mm -hmm. an air pump. Okay. Well, the air pump, what that is, that's actually an air pump to pump air into the fuel tank to give you fuel pressure to run the motor. There's no fuel pump. So you'd see him go out and give it a quick shot. So, mm -hmm. so it gave you, uh, you had some things to do mm -hmm. between steering and stopping and, and making it go fast. 
most of the people had this stuff, depending on how they like to do things, you'll see one that's got the handbrake on the right side, you know, or on the left side, or, you know, mm -hmm. they, they did different things. If you, if you check the miracle power out, you'll see his kill switch wasn't on the dashboard like a lot of them, but it was right on the steering wheel. And explain to Rick a little bit about those kill switches. So why do cars at this time have kill switches? Well, kill switches were, it's like anything else. If you get a, a stuck throttle or something like that, you can just flip the switch. I've, I've seen guys that had a rock that stuck the throttle and they actually drove a few laps just by using the kill switch. Hmm. On top of the handbrake was uh, where a forward starter button went. And they, okay. they, they do it there now. They, they put them wherever they felt more comfortable getting to them. Right. This car here is a car that Mario won his first sprint car race in Salem, Indiana, 1964. Mm. That is a Mario pretty color. Out of it. That is a real nice color to it. Yeah. Robin's egg blue almost. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can just go inside. So this is Gasoline go. Alley. This, uh, these are the doors from... The pits at William at uh, Indianapolis up until 1985. They were built in the 20s, and then they tore them all down. These are all things from Indianapolis or from Champ Car Racing. This particular car right here uh, was the last dirt car to run an Indy in 1956. There's Dick Linder, and I raced with his brother Gus, and that stick going over the wall at Trenton. Didn't hurt the car bad, but it killed him. Mm. Then the next race was at Langhorn, same car. They put Van Johnson in it. He won that day. Then the next race was at Williams Grove, and a throttle stuck in bars, this car, and he got killed in it. And then two years later, uh, Hugh Randall got killed in it. Ten minute there. Probably that time it was the car's fault. Okay. But the first two were just. It's it's kind of unusual that the car survived. It's amazing that everything is. It's not just the display, but it's working. We don't have the luxury of having a big place. Mm -hmm. We've got to do double or triple duty with, with <laughs> a lot of areas. Okay. Right. Um, this has just been. This has been really cool. I can't imagine anybody who finds out about this and then doesn't have the inkling to come by and, and check it out for themselves it's something that you know you can catch up you can check pictures on the website and and uh and so forth but just to see this in person and to, and to check it out for yourself is just pretty remarkable if if you have an inkling mm -hmm. or you have ever attended the races it's right. very good and and tell you the truth some of the best people I have through here had no inkling at all. They just wanted to stop. Right. And they were very interested in the storylines and, and how history affected different things. And, yep. you know, it's much like the Civil War in Gettysburg. Sure. Absolutely. If this would have happened and that wouldn't have happened, right. you know, you know the story. There's just so there. many things that could happen. Yeah, if one, you know. If one little thing know, changed. Every time I drive by Pickett's Charge, I'm right. just amazed at what transpired there, you know. Yep. Yeah, the, the nice position, physically speaking, of the museum, it, it, you know, you're going right down the main road there. If you're, you know, 
in between Harrisburg, Gettysburg, and you. But we're you, still see Gettysburg mm -hmm. is still rural, right. but being grown up, we are still rural here. Right. So, but we we are original. The old racetrack down here is exactly the way it was, you know. And I think I think people enjoy coming back to our old fair, mm -hmm. and it's the way they used to be. Yep. You know. I think any time that you're against a norm. Mm -hmm. You have an audience, right? Now, if everybody did it, then I think you'd lose your audience, right? But, but, well, it's but like, we have the perfect place to do it. Yep. Big uh, fan of the you know the older days of country music and you know the sure, outlaws sure. and so forth. And I'm just now, kind now, of thinking myself, you know, if like if Johnny Cash or Waylon Jennings didn't do it the way they w they did well, it, it wouldn't be as interesting. Mount Vernon Theater. Mm -hmm. You know where Mount Vernon Theater yep. is, Williams Grove. Yep. Uh, we have the cards, the display cards of Waylon Jennings and, okay. and, and uh, Crash Braddock and all those guys mm -hmm. that played over, you know, played at Williams Grove. That that, that place wow. had a fabulous history in the 50s and the 60s wow. in country music. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is really cool uh, well, for, for, for anybody, for the family, for just coming on a solo trip. Um, just something fun to do. Thank you for listening to the Destination Gettysburg podcast. Produced and hosted by Rick Kennis, with thanks to our special guest. No part of this material may be reproduced without written permission. Get inspired for your visit to Adams County, Pennsylvania at DestinationGettysburg.com. <laughs>